The girl's teasing laughter is carrying farther than they know, farther than they know. But if we have body. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. There's a lot of activity going on this morning. It's it's really nice. Uh, Thank you all for being here. Today kicks off our missions conference. Um, And so if you are here visiting, welcome. And you have chosen a wonderful time in the body of our church to be around. So we're thankful for you being here. Um, If there is anything that we can do for you, we are here to serve. And uh, we look forward to, um, to ministering to you today. Welcome, and thank you for being a part of our missions week. Uh, Today we're going to hear from a couple missionaries, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful time of fellowship. Uh, Tonight we have things going on. We've got next next week there's more missionaries coming in, more fellowships, and so we're excited about uh, what God is doing in these next couple weeks. before we get into our worship service, uh, our time of worship that is being led by our youth band, which we're excited about, um, we will show a vi- video with a Christian service mission uh, to kind of share what's going on with their ministry. All right. We are not a direct service organization, so we don't really take kids from Birmingham to kids across America. We take groups that involve kids. So that when they come back, they're still involved in their churches, organizations that they've come from. Well, Simone's mother went, now she goes. So it's it's great to have grandchildren that are now going to camp and experiencing it. And falling in love with, with the camp experience and also falling in love with Jesus. There's an anointing on the place to experience God, to know God, and to make Him known. So that's what it's all about. It's for people to fall deeper in love with Jesus and to fall deeper in love with serving the Lord. And when young people get that and are trained in that way, and that's, that's, that's what we've been called to do, to multiply. Hey guys, we're here at Christian Service Mission to talk a little bit about what it looks like to serve here. step-by-step of how to be amazing? Okay, step one. Wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror, and say, I am amazing. Obviously from God, right? That's where we find our identity. Yes, every year we're, we're attempting to put together products. Okay, step two, brush your teeth because ain't nobody wants your stinky breath. Step three, you just, you just need to stay caffeinated. If you or your church is interested in serving, check out our website. We'd love to have you here.
Good morning. Um, if y'all stand as we worship the Lord together this morning.
Okay, good morning. <laughs> I have the privilege of introducing our first speaker this morning, but before I do, I'd like to pray. Let's have a word of prayer. Good. Father, we thank you that um, you paid the price of our salvation with every drop of your blood. We thank you for the songs this morning and how it's setting our mind on you and the price that you paid. Uh, Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that you've uh, called us to be ambassadors for Christ. And uh, Father, there are so many things that hinder us in life from doing that. And God, I pray that through this conference, we might be challenged to be unhindered and to be free, free in you, free from uh, those things that the fear and the concern of pride, the things in our own heart that might keep us from going out and sharing our faith, the greatest news in the world, and we have it. And so I pray that we would be bold. Paul said, pray for me that, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And if Paul prayed that, uh, Lord, surely we need that same prayer that we would be bold. We, we would be keenly aware of the opportunities you give each of us to share our faith and for missions that we would be praying, we would be giving, we would be going, we would be supporting missionaries and a mission effort from our church as well as our own involvement. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for our missions conference. Thank you for all the hard work in putting it together. And we just pray you bless these speakers as they come and help us to uh, learn and to be challenged. Uh, Lord, just bless this time. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have the privilege of uh, introducing a friend that many of you already know, uh, Nard Pugal. And uh, Nard was a seven-year-old boy in the Philippines, in northern Philippines, when a missionary marched into his village. And uh, the Lord used that missionary to radically change Nard's life. And that whole village, that whole uh, commune. I think he told me last night there were some 70,000 Isnak Indians now and natives. They're not Indians, are they? Bob doesn't like it when I call them Indians. He's laughing now. <laughs> Natives. <laughs> so, so Nard and, and, uh, and Bob go back a long way. Nard has flown for uh, over 46 years with JARS. That's the uh, flying arm of uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators and uh, has had many privileges doing that. I'm sure he'll share some of those with you today. Uh, he's married, got three, uh, two sons, two of them, both of them in the military. One is now out and doing other things, but uh, I know he's very proud of his boys. And Sandy, his wife, is at home. Uh, and so she teaches ESL and does a lot of other things he's committed to. But, Nard, we love having you here. Uh, the first time you brought his helicopter here was in 1996, and we were talking about that yesterday. And um, I remember we went to uh, Southeastern Bible College to let you speak there, and me and you and Dan Miller, and we flew to Birmingham, and we landed over the, over the apartment buildings in the soccer field. And then he spoke, and when we went to leave, we all got in, and Dan, Dan took off, and we went, ooh, and back down. Remember, we couldn't clear those, those apartments, and it went twice, it went, ooh, back down. And he said, somebody's going to have to get out. <laughs> and I said, uh, at the time, I said, I'm not a pilot. I'll, I'll get out. You guys need to be piloting the, the uh, helicopter. <laughs> so uh, it was uh, always great. I know you did that twice here, and uh, the last time was a few years ago. I think it was in 2019, actually down at um, the Rising Star New Missionary Church had their first missions conference with Dr. Thomas Beavers there, and you brought the helicopter with them and had that event. So just a long history, and we love having you here. Come and share your, your hearts with us. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. I lowered your stick. Oh, that's good. 
thank you. And uh, I think what I will probably do is uh, let's watch that video before uh, we forget about that. I wanted to, uh, to share with you um, really an end result story. The reason you have missions conferences is for people the likes of me. And I want to thank you for your support of missionaries. I'm really a product of what missions conferences is all about as you send out your missionaries. So you're looking at an end result. When you think of, sometimes people think, ah, oh, missions doesn't work. Well, look at Nard Pugiao. It's me, flesh and blood, saved by the grace of God. It's what it is. That's why you're sending out others like Josiah and Adeline to the ends of the earth because God is at work. He's not done yet. I tell people, yeah, I just turned 57 the end of January. Remember now, they retired me seven years ago from flying when I turned 68. So that was seven years ago. So I just turned 57. I read backwards now, <laughs> in case you don't know. But let's watch that video, the celebration of our Bible in, in Dibagat, just in June, on June 25. So if we could put that one there, it would be great. As I think about God's view of the Isnog people, I think he is just smiling. He loves those people. My name is Kelly Chestnut, and I get to provide leadership to our staff in their spiritual formation. And I also serve alongside my husband, who serves as president and CEO of Wycliffe. So my husband and I came with a team so that we could participate in celebrating the Isnag Full Bible dedication. It's just a joy to see this language community have the full counsel of God's Word in a language that they best understand. Sixty-six years I waited for this whole Bible to come. I got to fly the first New Testament, the first printing of the New Testament here, June 24, 1982. The first 500 copies, flying it here as a pilot. It's just been exciting to see the, the culmination of that too. It's a privilege to be appointed by God to do the translation of your language. The Lord worked everything up for us, for the Isnag especially, and for His name. Everything he does is for his own glory and for his name's sake. We obey him, and so his plan always get carried out. So while we were in Dabagat, a worship service actually set us up uh, before the dedication, the night before we entered into a time of worship, and it was so much fun. And then the next day, we actually came together in a celebration service in which we got to see and meet people from many different villages across the Isnag community. And it was just pure joy to see children and men and women coming together to celebrate receiving God's Word in their language. My heart is just like melting, you know what I mean? It's like bottom melting when I read in my own heart language. I really understand every single word that the Lord says in His Word. And I'm really excited to share that uh, what I felt when I read through all this uh, whole Bible in my heart language. We heard stories of transformation in the community in which people who had been part of the church for years, uh, there was one woman in fact that she was 63 or 64 and, and had just put her faith in Jesus for the first time two weeks before our arrival, and she got baptized the day of the celebration. 
It was such a neat experience to know that generations past had no word of God in their language, to having the New Testament at one point, to having that New Testament revised because language changes, uh, and then to have an Old Testament included now, and then to see children. So these children are being raised as the next generation in which they've never known not having God's Word in their language. When the Bibles were distributed after the celebration and the dedication, people stayed around for a long time so that they could get their turn waiting in line and uh, receiving their word. Some were just clutching the Bible to their chests and others immediately sat down and started opening their Bibles and some were looking through it and others went straight to Old Testament passages. So seeing the response of the community, priceless. Now that the Bible is uh, full now in our heart language, we are praying that we are able to distribute the Bible into all Isnags. And um, not only distribute, but doing evangelism, helping them to read uh, the Bible in their own heart language. Now that the uh, translation is done, I want to continue the ministry, especially in helping the people uh, see Christ in the Old Testament. I just love the work so much, then it's become my life. I told them actually some time ago, God gave me to you and I'm here for good. It's amazing to see what God has done, but the impact of the word coming to the East I'm just so excited. And I marvel in awe, I say, God, this is I think one of the things I'm gonna leave this time with is just the reminder of the value of God's Word. I already know it's valuable, uh, but sometimes we can become overly familiar with something and we lose sight of the value. Uh, and every time I go to a dedication, it always reminds me of the precious treasure that we have in God's Word. Psalm 115, verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. It's all about God, isn't it? Not about NARD, not about Wycliffe, not about any mission organizations, all about the God of heaven and earth. And then Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, are the wonders that you have done were I to speak and tell of them. There would be too many to declare. So I just have a few minutes here and and uh, Dave's supposed to come after that, and so I better, I better behave myself while I'm here. But uh, Joseph of Arimathea went to Jesus. He was Sanhedrin, rich guy in the, the council, went to Jesus, and he said, I need to take the body of Jesus. So the Pilate said to, uh, Pilate said to him, I guess Jesus is dead, so you go ahead and take him. So he went, he went there, and Nicodemus, they went there and wrapped Jesus up, and they were walking down the hillside to bury Jesus. And a, and a centurion came up to Joseph, and he said, Joseph, what on earth are you doing? You're the richest man. You're part of the council. Why on earth are you taking a criminal to bury him in your tomb? And Joseph said, it's only for the weekend. Now that I got your attention, I'm just here for the weekend. 
That's amazing, isn't it? That it's only for the weekend. Yes, but God is still working around the world. But did you know that Dave talked about uh, us flying the helicopter? Did you know that in Genesis, God was hovering over the deep, so he was in a helicopter. The helicopter was the first one invented as, as aircraft. You know, that's, that's what it is. It's amazing. But seriously, I'm impacted by the word of God through the translation work. Because Richard Rowe arrived in my village back in 1956. We didn't know what to do with this guy. He came in there. He started out at Word of Life in 1949. And if I tell you the story, I don't have that much time. But he was at Word of Life camp in 1949. We talked about camp and listening about camp in Alaska, Echo Camp. There's Keiko Camp and all these camping that the next generation are growing up. It's exciting to see what God is doing to camp ministries. And parents are sending their kids and people are coming to Christ left and right. It's amazing to see we're training the next generation that will go and take our places. Man, I'm getting, getting to the point where I says, well, I don't know. I like motorcycles still, but I can't afford to fly anymore. But I, so I, I fly the motorcycle, but it's just been exciting to see what God is doing through everything in the world, using every one of us, using people like you and me and the the best part of it all is Richard Rowe gave his heart to Christ through Word of Life camp in Schoon Lake, New York. And he became a Bible translator. We go into Wheaton College, trained in linguistics and anthropology, and joined Wycliffe Bible Translators in 1953. And I was still in my mother's womb when he gave his heart to Christ. And amazing to see that by this, right this very second, God is forming in a mother's womb the person that each one of you will have to go and introduce to the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe not you physically, but somebody you would send as a missionary because they're the ones that will impact the world for Jesus Christ. That's incredible. Isn't it? God was still forming me when God spoke to the heart of that person coming to the Philippines. Joining Wycliffe from Brewer, Maine, where they don't call me Nard up there. They call me Nard. That's where we eat a lobster. You go to Bahaba if you have not been to Maine. But he joined the mission and Cameron Townsend received a letter from the Philippines and the president of the Philippines, Ramon Magsaysay, and he said, Mr. Townsend, I understand you do linguistic research. Would you please come to the Philippines and start your work of linguistic and, and Bible translation work because the Philippines has 150-some languages scattered over the 7,000 islands in the Philippines. I always think, what if Mr. Townsend said, no way, we're not going to go there. We started in Guatemala, we'll go to, we've gone to Mexico, now in Peru, the Philippines is the fourth country. He could have just said, no, we want to concentrate in South America, Bolivia, Ecuador, those are the places that need to be reached in the Caribbean area. What if he said no? But God knew there was a little boy born in a hut up in the northern jungles of the Philippines that needed to hear so that he could be here today to share with you the awesome power of God's word in the heart language, his power that can transform the lives of people, men and women and children. That's amazing, isn't it? Because for by grace you've been saved, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what it's all about, isn't it? So missions conferences always excites me because it brings back memories of great things in there, what God had done because it's all about him. 
not about the work, not about airplanes, not about anything else. You know, you can hug your airplanes, you could hug your motorcycle, but they won't respond back. But people, they respond when you hug a man, you get, you get a hug back. And that's the way God created us in his image. So Richard Rowe arrived in the Philippines. You know, he was in San Francisco boarding a freighter to go to the Philippines. He was supposed to board that freighter January 10, 1956. But did you know, two days before boarding the freighter, what happened January 8, 1956? And I heard my friend Steve Saint is coming here. The five missionaries were killed in Ecuador, South America. They gave their life for the cause of the gospel to be preached among the Warani people. They called them Alcas, savages. But they're the Warani people. But you know, it exploded. The world, the, the churches in America and the world had exploded into missions because of those five people who gave their life for missions, trying to reach the Alka people. And Richard Rowe could have just said, no, I don't want to go. What if his parents had that cell phone back then in 1956? They would have called him and said, son, you can't go because they just killed five missionaries. You can't go. What if? But again, God says, when he gave his heart to Christ at Word of Life camp, he never looked back. He boarded a freighter on his way to the Philippines, arriving there the 9th of February, 1956. Going up north to the northern coast of the Philippines and again going up river by canoe, assigned to the Isnag people, the people that I come from. Arriving there in March of 1956 and we didn't know what to do with this guy. What would you want to do with a guy? Six foot two, white, pale, clumsy, didn't speak the language. Would you want to eat him? We do. We love white people. They taste like chicken. <laughs> we were kind of scared. We didn't know what to do with this guy. He didn't know our language. We didn't know anything about him. He didn't speak Isnag. We asked him, why are you here? He said to learn your language. What for? Why would you come and leave your home? Then we found out it was American. We knew about you Americans because back in World War II, MacArthur said, I shall return, World War II ended. The most powerful nation on earth, the richest in all the world, but why on earth would you go to a God-forsaken village where we worship the spirit world? Why would you come? So we asked him some more, why are you really here? He said, to learn your language gives you God's word in your heart language. And we said to him, who is your God? He said, he's the God of the universe. He created you, Isnags. He loves you, Isnags. And we said to him, is he powerful? He said, yeah, he's powerful. More powerful than the headhunters? Of course, he's more powerful than. Is he more powerful than the spirit world that controlled our lives from the beginning of time? He said, he's more powerful than there. We wanted to know more about his God because we were sick and tired of dominated by the spirit world, the worship of the spirit world. We were sick and tired of it, but we didn't know how to get out of it. Somebody gets sick, you call the, the shaman or the witch doctor to appease the spirit somehow, but the problem with the spirit world is that they want your pigs, your chickens, your dogs, your cows, plus they want your total allegiance to them, and we didn't know how to get out of it. So we wanted to learn about his God. We started teaching him our language, feeding him some of the exotic food, feed some grubs to beetles to dog meat. In fact, I have 101 ways to walk your dog. Walk. <laughs> W-O-K. Walk. And Andrea said that she had some 
chicken and uh, Jim, Jim Davis over there had some of those Adidas, you know, soup, chicken feet. We call them Adidas. You always have to learn the song when you go to an unknown place. You always have to learn the song that says, where he leads me, I will follow. Where he feeds me, I will swallow. <laughs> Sometimes it's disgusting to eat the food you're not familiar with. I love your food, but I still don't eat cottage cheese. <laughs> and sometimes people become fancy with cottage cheese. They put it in China bowl. They put red cherry on top. You know what the cherry really is for? Camouflage the movement. It moves. But this guy was learning our language. And to make a story short, he started writing primers, writing our alphabet. And that's what Bob and Judy and brochures did with the Kalanguya people, Dean and in. And believe it's just exciting to see God bringing all these missionaries to your doorstep too. And bringing the mission field here. People from all walks of life coming into America so that you won't have to go and learn the culture. You teach them English. But Richard wrote our alphabet. And then gave it to the schools little booklets because I flunked out of first grade. But I remember four years later, he translated the Gospel of Mark. And I remember giving me the Gospel of Mark and taking it below the village on Christmas Day, 1963, reading it for the very first time. God's word in my heart language, we're going to be celebrating Easter. And for some reason, I opened the Gospel of Mark right in the middle, 13, 14, and 15, and 16 of the Gospel of Mark, written in Isnag, translated in Isnag sitting on top of that rock, and I could not understand. But I could visualize what was going on as Jesus was teaching his disciples, and I could understand as if I was right there in the presence of Jesus as he was teaching his disciples about what was to come, about his crucifixion and everything. But then when they came to the point where they, they beat up Jesus in there and mocked him and spit on him and then nailing his hands on his feet, I could not understand this missionary said his God is powerful, more powerful than the spirit world. But what's with this? The God of this missionary is so powerful, yet he could not protect his only son. Why should I believe in a godless, I mean, a God like that? He's supposed to be powerful, yet he didn't have the power to protect his only son. I took the gospel of Mark and threw it down to the rocks and shook my fist, and I said, I'll never believe in a powerless God like you. I wanted a God who could protect me from the spirit world. But here's the God that's his missionary. He's not powerful if he could not protect his only son. His only son, why should I believe? He started walking back towards the village, leaving the gospel down to the rocks. But you know, when I started walking back towards the village, as if God reached into my little tiny heart and said, Nard, don't you understand that's how much I love you? And for the very first time, I understood the grace of God. And I said, oh, God, you love me that much. You would do that for me. And I said, if that's the case, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my life. I was new. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, everything becomes new. I was new. Christmas Day, 1963. Are you new this morning? Do you know this Jesus? You hear grace, you know Jesus, you know him. He's awesome. I went back and picked up my gospel, sat back on top of the rock and found out the power of the resurrection that Jesus died. They buried him in a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea took him and buried him just for the weekend. 
And I found out the power of the resurrection that Jesus rose again from the grave. I said, wow, why didn't they put the power of the resurrection before I threw my gospel down to the earth? I would never have done what it happened the way it did. God is amazing. He's awesome. I went back in there and uh, I said, Lord, I want to go to school. I want to I wanna get an education. Richard Rowe comes back to the Philippines and I told him I met Jesus because he's been praying for me, man. I said, I'm excited about you knowing Christ. And he said, I got to go to Mindanao for the next four years. Mindanao, I don't know. My worldview was right in the village of Dibagat. I didn't know anybody else existed. I thought we were the only ones that God created, but there's more people around the world. But that's the way God is. He knows every bit. He said, I got to go to Mindanao for the next four years, but I need somebody to go with me to Mindanao to help me with the language because there are more books of the Bible that need to be translated. And then the sweetest music to my ear, he said, how do you like to go with me to Mindanao? I'll help you go to school if you help me with the language. And I knew then God answered my prayer. Then he said something crazy. We need to build an airstrip. I said, what's an airstrip? He said, we're airplane lands. What's an airplane? Airstrip, airplane. Is this guy not so what? Well, we believed him. So we built an airstrip in my village, 600 feet long, 60 feet wide. We named it Dibagat International Airport. <laughs> March of 64, this beautiful Helio Courier short takeoff and landing type airplane landed in an old airstrip. I was in awe. And I said, wow, this is an airplane. Then the pilot fastened my seatbelt in the backseat of that airplane. That was all smiles. My first airplane ride. The engine roared. It was still good. And I put the missionary next to me. And engine roared. It was revving up some more. I could feel it on my rear end, the vibration. And pretty soon we were moving down the undulating airstrip. And as soon as we were airborne, all my insides went up and I could not breathe and I finally let go. I screamed for dear life, grabbed hold of Dick Rose's leg. I said, oh no, please don't let me die. Screaming for dear life, 55 minutes of pure terror. <laughs> I didn't want to have anything to do with flying. God had a sense of humor. He made me a pilot. It's all the way God works, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether you're born in a hut, born in a mansion, born in a stable. When God says, I want you, he makes all things possible, isn't it? There's no excuse for not doing the work of God that he had called us to do, to become an ambassador for him, because that's what it's all about. And so this, the first translation in there that said on the video, I flew the first 500 copies back to the village, 1982. We watched it, and Rudy Barlan came. Rudy Barlan, Dr. Barlan. I told him Dick Rowe died in 1995 at age 64 in leukemia. So Rudy started working in there for 52 years. He did the work, and the pressure for him was, Rudy, whatever you do, you cannot get sick, you cannot die, you cannot get married until the Bible is done. Because he's single, he's still 70, he's 77, and so I told him the pressure now, he's just relaxed now that we had the Bible now. It has been exciting to see from, from the part on, and Jim Davis been there five times in my village in there, helping us with the building, really a house in Dibagat. The translation went on. And June, 25, June, June 13, 2023, I went to the Philippines with my son, Philip. And I could not sleep. 
arrived there the 14th, and I was waiting for my copy of my Bible, the Isnag, whole Bible in Isnag. I woke up that early morning, June 15th, and I got my copy of this Bible, and I was rubbing it, and I said, Lord, you have made it so that people from all walks of life were the ones that gave us the money to print the Bible in my language. From people that the church in New York gave me $75,000 to $42 from oldest to youngest and the youngest donor that gave money for this Bible is Corey Watkins. Five years old from Good News Club in Cornelia, Georgia. And as I lifted up my Bible, Lord, you can take me home now, June 15, 2023. I thought of Corey, and I said, wow, Corey bought this Bible. Corey just met the Lord prior to when I went to Cornelia, Georgia, near Tacoa. And Peggy, the teacher of the Good News Club, called me and said, could you come and, and uh, speak to the kids because I have been telling you a story, a special job, for an ordinary boy is a story at CEF. And she said, I also told the kids to, if they could buy an Isnaga Bible, just to maybe have $10. So Corey Watkins, five years old, came in with a Ziploc bag full of coins. And Peggy said to Corey, said, Corey, how did you get these coins? She said, my grandpa collects coins every day and every time he could and puts it in a Ziploc bag. He gives it to one of the grandkids. And this year, it was my turn to get a Ziploc bag full of coins. And I told my mommy, she said, I told my mommy that I could really buy a nice toy with these coins. But I also told her, instead of buying a nice toy, mommy, I'm going to give it to, to Peggy so that she, we could buy an Isnaga Bible. So Peggy counted the coins, $42, three Bibles. And this is one of them. And as I lifted it up, I just cried. I said, Lord, Corey bought this. I got to the baguette for the celebration, June 25. I went there 10 days prior. New tribes had the helicopter. They flew in, everybody there visiting on the celebration, June 25. And two boys came up and they said, we want our Bible in there, and Rudy, 10, 10 and 11, two brothers. They got the other two. And you know, they opened it up right in the middle of the Bible and it came to Proverbs 23. And they started reading in there and it comes to Proverbs 23. It talks about a drunkard man is a useless man. Their older brother, 20-year-old brother, is, is a drunk man in the village in there. They went to him. These two brothers said, look at this, brother. It says a drunkard man is a useless man in the Bible. And the, the boy said, no, no, it's, it's not true. And the mother overheard. The mother went there and read it. And sure enough, it's true. It's right here in the Bible, God's word. And we're still waiting to the end result of what Corey had done, investing in that one. Now it's spreading all over this country, and they're distributing the Bibles. 5,000 copies we printed in there. And once that one is run out, we'll print another 5,000. It's just exciting to see what God, because God's word is powerful. It says so in Hebrews 4.12. It's sharper than any double-edged sword piercing. It says, as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature, it says, nobody is hidden from his sight, but all are open, led bare to him. With him we have to give account to. How about you? 
what is the passion? This is my passion. Even though they told me I could retire at 46 years in there, but God's word will continue, and the story of God's grace will continue to be told until I could no longer walk or ride or anything like that. I'm so blessed with Bob and Judy seeing them for Dean, and Bob, Uncle Bob is older than I am, I think. But yet, God continues to use people no matter what. So to the missionaries, thank you for what you do. I'm impacted by the, your, your work as missionaries to Josiah and Adeline as they go to reach out to the next generation. There will be a little Nard Pugia that will say yes to Jesus Christ. It'll spread on. It'll continue to ripple. But we're also waiting for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to return. Are you ready for his return? Because this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and Jesus said he would return. Are you re ready? Man, I want him. I want, I want something to, to do something with Israel so the king of kings will come. Wouldn't that be awesome? Perhaps today is the day that he would come. Are you ready? But we got a mission to do as long as we have breath and life. We got a mission to do. Because God is not done yet. That's why Paul said, Therefore, beloved brothers, he said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you know your labor, your labor, your labor, your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So thank you again for my heart, for what you've done the part you have in my life, and it's all to the glory of God, nothing that Nardi will ever do, but to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what we give our praise to. Father, we thank you for how you bless this church, the people, the, the children that you have here, their passion for you through missions conferences, and I pray that maybe somebody here doesn't know you. Perhaps today is the day that they will say yes to you, and they'll become ambassadors for you. Thank you for Josiah and Adeline as they go to Indonesia. Thank you for Dean and, and uh, Linda and for Bob and, and uh, Judy and for Dave and Melinda for using them for Pastor Tad. And this church, Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. They're reaching out to the ends of the earth because that's what we are all about. Is reaching to the nations, declaring your glory among the nations. So, Father, we pray now for Dave as he comes up and share with us, we pray. And thank you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Nard, you can relax. We're not letting David up here again. <laughs> Oh, it's great, isn't it, to hear how the Word of God, when first heard by people who've never heard before, accepted so many. These are things that don't make it into the news. And that's why we need conferences like this, so that we can be encouraged that the work that God is doing is going on in the world and His church will be successful. You know, years ago, I heard about a pastor here in Birmingham who decided to go to the mission field. Um, and what was unusual about it was he was going to Japan. And I thought, oh boy, you know, Japan is one of the hardest mission fields in the world. 
I knew a pastor who went there, served 19 years, and afterwards said he only had one genuine believer from all that time. So I heard that Stephen and Kaylee Taylor were going to Japan because the Lord had called them. And then I thought, well, if the Lord is calling them, then he's going to do something with them there. And looking back over the years now, I think that your ministry is one of the best Christian ministries that I've heard of in Japan. And I'd like you to come and tell us about it now. Thank you, Steve. That's very kind of you. Just a moment here and I'll get going. But someone told me one time, missionaries are heroes. I didn't really buy that. I love this. (laughs) But if there are such a thing as missionary heroes, it's the Bible translators. And so I'm, I'm honored to be able to share the stage with Bible translators. I'm here today as an advocate, an advocate for Japan, the Japanese people. And I'd like to begin by reading the verse that God used in my heart many years ago. Jonah chapter 4. It's speaking about the great city of Nineveh. If you know anything about the Assyrians, they were a horrible people. They were a godless people. They were a very advanced civilization, and yet they used their advancements to destroy their neighbors, to pillage and destroy and do horrible things. And then God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And after God had done his great work, at the end of the book, Jonah, of course, is sitting under the tree, the the vine there, and he's very mad at God for what God did because the Ninevites did not deserve God's grace. They were a horrible people. And God says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Scholars will tell us Nineveh at that time was probably the largest city in the world. 120,000 doesn't sound like much for us, but it was at that time a huge number of people. And God says, should I not have concern? The word could also be translated pity. Should I not pity these people? And that God would take these people that did not deserve and that weren't crying out for God and that God would work by his power in them. The Japanese are modern-day Nineveh. They don't deserve the gospel. They're not eager to hear the gospel They're not like those tribes people that, oh, the word of God has come to us. The word of God has come to Japan for many years. And the Japanese heart is hard. We're missionaries in Tokyo, the largest metroplex in the world, 
with 38 million people. Tokyo is the modern-day Nineveh, filled with people who don't know their right hand from their left and are heading towards a Christless eternity. And how does God feel about Tokyo? Should I not have pity for all of these people who have never heard the gospel and don't know their right hand from their left? Japan is about the size of California. It has the 12th largest population in the world. Every time I'm discouraged and I think about stepping away, God reminds me 124 million souls 124 million. How can we step away from this? I believe Japan is one of the most neglected mission fields. Because out of 124 million, there's less than half a percent Christian. Anywhere from 300,000 to 500,000 true Bible-believing Christians. If you hear, oh, 1%, 2%, that includes Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, all these weird cults, true Bible-believing, born-again Christians, 300,000 out of 124 million. 78% of college students in Japan have never met a Christian, much less heard the gospel, never actually met a Christian. So they're the second largest unreached people group in the world. How about missionaries? Well, there are more Mormon missionaries in Japan than Christian missionaries. 2,000 missionaries to reach 124 million. One for every 62,000 Japanese. I haven't reached my 62,000 yet. And the Japanese church, honestly, is not very effective at reaching their own people. If they could stand alone, that would be wonderful. But there are many reasons why they don't reach their own people. Why is Japan unreached? With such a great challenge, with so many people in one place, with so many that have cried and bled and just prayed over Japan, why is Japan unreached? Let me give you a few reasons. The first is the poverty problem. This is how I viewed Japan and places like that many years ago. I worked in Haiti and Dominican Republic before I went to Japan. It's very easy to see the need. It's very easy to see physical poverty. But it's very difficult to see spiritual poverty. It's very difficult to see the bankruptcy of the human soul. And so our hearts are justly moved for those that are suffering physical poverty. But it's harder to see the need in a place like Japan. Sony and Honda and Toyota and very developed and yet a very bankrupt spiritual poverty. Second problem is what I call the stronghold problem. We deal not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual forces. And Japan is a spiritual stronghold. 250 years, the longest persecution of Christians in history, where every year when you paid your taxes, you had to step on an icon of Jesus or of Mary or some Christian symbol when you paid your taxes. 
because they believed no Christian would do that. If you were a Christian, they killed you on the spot. 250 years. Satan has had all this time to lay barriers to the gospel. Let me share a few with you. I call them pits because they're obstacles in the way of the gospel. And here are seven pits that block progress of the gospel in Japan. The first is the pit of darkness. A worldview that is so opposite of the Christian worldview. Years ago, I used to go out with a clipboard on the street and for spiritual law and stop and say, excuse me, sir, would you like to take a religious survey? And I can guarantee you, even if they're not a Christian, they share the same basic worldview with me. And I was able to go through a four spiritual law book, and at the end of that, would you like to pray this prayer? Yes, I would. I saw many people pray to receive Christ. Share the gospel with a Japanese person, and they look at you like you have three heads. They have no idea what you're talking about. They don't understand about Jesus. They don't understand about sin. They don't understand about heaven and hell. They don't understand about any of that. So you have to begin not at, let's say, zero and work towards into the positive. You have to begin at negative 50. Every time I've shared the gospel with a Japanese person, they say, hmm, two responses. Either, hmm, that's interesting. And in Japanese, it sounds more effective, but hmm, it's very interesting. Or, oh, I had a nice time. That was fun. They do not understand. So the pit of darkness. Secondly is the pit of nationalism. The Japanese way is the superior way. All the other peoples of the world somehow are second class. That's what you saw in World War II. They believe the Japanese way is the best way in the world. They have a strong nationalistic spirit. Christianity is a foreign religion. Therefore, it's not as good as the Japanese way. I'm overcoming that. The third pit is the pit of conformity. Japanese proverb, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Japanese are taught from a very early age, stay with the group. The person that is separated out gets bullied, gets ostracized. It doesn't end well for them. So the greatest fear for a Japanese person is to be pulled out from the group. That's exactly what we're asking them to do when they become a Christian. God says, come out. And the ja everything in the Japanese heart says, no, no, they're afraid of that. The pit of pride. When you share with a Japanese person, and in Japanese, the word sin is the word for crime. And they say, no, I'm not a criminal. Most Japanese think they're very good people because they work very hard for an appearance of righteousness. If you've met a Japanese person, oh, they're so nice. They're so polite. They're so, yeah. It's that outer veneer of pride in being Japanese and in their own righteousness. The problem is when you try to explain grace. Jesus died for your sins. Wouldn't you like to accept, oh, no, I don't want someone to pay for my sins. I should pay for my sins. So there's this entire misunderstanding and aversion to grace. The pit of passivity. Don't make waves. Don't trouble other people. 
Japanese children are taught this from the time they're infants. Don't make trouble for other people. You know, the gospel is a troublemaker. It divides families. It changes nations. It upheaves everything. Japanese don't like that. Even Japanese Christians. I watched uh, many years ago a miniseries called Shogun in the 1980s and influenced a lot of people towards Japan. But I remember one of the lines in it, the Japanese Christian, the main character met, said, oh, you're a Christian. And she said, I am Japanese first and Christian second. That's the problem. That's the problem. You're more interested in conforming to your culture than you are in conforming to Christ. The pit of passivity, the pit of privacy. Japanese are very private people. I had no idea how much they value their privacy and why. If you're open, if you're transparent, other people judge you because of that standard of perfection because this is the way we should be. Everything should be perfect. Everything you do should be perfect. And person who's not perfect, separate them out. Oh, look at them. They're not perfect. No one's perfect. But they're all pretending to be perfect. And so what happens is when you try to talk about sin, no one will admit. My language partner, for years I'm sharing the gospel. Eh, I, you know, no, I, I haven't done anything wrong until two months before he died in the hospital. Oh, I didn't want to die in my sins. I want to accept Christ. I was like, what? <laughs> I shared with you so many years and you wouldn't admit it. So there's that aversion to showing any sort of weakness. How do you think the Japanese church is like? <laughs> when you're trying to be transparent and open and share your struggles, no one wants to do that. It's a great challenge. And lastly, the pit of language. For missionaries, it's the hardest major language for Westerners to learn. That's why I'm so envious of my wife. Korean, Japanese, very similar. So a Korean can learn in one year what it takes me five years to learn. Very difficult language for us. And also, strangely enough, for the Japanese. Many times I hear, like my brother shared, my heart language and hearing the gospel in my heart language. The Japanese language is so loaded with cultural baggage that many Japanese have said, I could never hear the gospel in Japanese. I heard it, but I couldn't understand it. It wasn't until I heard it in English that I could understand. So there's so many pits and barriers what do we do? 124 million souls. Tokyo, the largest collection of lost, unreached people in the history of the world. And yet so difficult. So few witnesses. So many barriers. So many obstacles. How do we meet such an impossible challenge? I think the only way is to realize it is a spiritual battle. And we need to all be praying very hard for Japan. We can have all the money in the world, all the resources, but it's a spiritual battle. In this city of 38 million people, we looked out over the city when we got there and we felt like crying. 
Lord, what can we do? This is impossible. The city goes on and on and on forever. And there's so many that haven't heard. We joined a team of missionaries that started a cafe. And the philosophy was, be a part of the community to reach the community. We can't reach 38 million people at once, but we can one by one, little by little, try to make a difference. So we planted ourselves in the community. We started a cafe. And that's a place where Japanese people can come in. They have coffee. They have cheesecake. They sit and they talk with each other. And we pray, God, give us conversations that lead to the gospel. And from there, give us relationships that lead towards the gospel. Give us things that we can begin to talk with them. Cooking classes, English classes, craft classes, art classes, anything that will bring them into the cafe, into our neutral ground where we can share with them and begin to share about God with them. Begin to share God's word, God 101. So we invite them in, we have these conversations, and then we pray, God, show us the ones that want to go deeper. Show us the ones that are hungry, the ones that are hurting, the ones that are hopeless. God, give us eyes to see. And then we teach them God's truth. We have Bible studies where we read the Bible in English and in Japanese. And it's for non-Christians. And it's not a huge thing. It's not hundreds. It's eight or nine non-Christians reading the Bible for the first time. And through that, do they all become Christians? No, but maybe two or three are more interested and go on and come to Bible studies where they really dig deeper. And out of that, maybe one, maybe two. We've seen maybe 20, 25 baptisms and salvations in 10 years. It's not a lot, but we have seen a lot of people exposed to the gospel. We've seen a lot of people consider the gospel and decide to walk away. Many times I've felt like Nineveh does not deserve the gospel, Lord. They have this light here, and yet they walk away. And God says, should I not care? Should I not have pity on these people sitting in darkness? So we planted a church, Sunrise Church, and that's our main ministry now. When we first got there, we did a lot of activity with college groups and special events and Thanksgiving dinners, and it kept us really busy, but we didn't see a lot of fruit from it. We saw a lot of good interaction, but not a lot of fruit. The last seven years, we've focused on teaching God's word. That's our emphasis, because we realized, God, only your word can change the Japanese heart. So every chance we get, we teach Bible studies, we do one-on-one discipleship, we do preaching on Sunday morning, and we do all of that to try to influence non-Christians and Japanese Christians. Before I went to Japan, I thought, wow, if you're a Christian in Japan, you must be sold out. It's so difficult to be a Christian. Yeah, there are some sold out Christians, but not many. There's a lot that just do not know the Bible. Japanese pastors, amazing lack of Bible knowledge. So our heart 
is teaching the Japanese people the word of God, teaching believers, teaching non-Christians, influencing leaders to know the word of God so that they can know God and they can go forward. So we do the cafe, we do the church, we are supervisors of a team of missionaries. It's gone from anywhere to three up to eight career missionaries working with us. We do this emphasis on church. They do children's ministry or college ministry or other kinds of ministry. We all work together. We involve the Japanese Christians in ministry. And we try to get interns to come and serve in Japan. Three to six months, one to three years. What I would like to say this morning, pray for Japan. Pray more for Japan. Remember Japan, these people who are sitting in darkness. And pray about maybe some of you young people, come and join us and learn. You don't have to be a missionary. That three to six months is really just learn and see Japan through God's eyes. Work in our cafe, wash dishes, make panini sandwiches, and build relationships with the Japanese people and see what it's like to be a missionary. I'm 61. I'll be 62 this year. How many more years? I don't know. We need missionaries to replace us. There are so few. Maybe God would call some of you, young people, to give your heart to Nineveh, to a people that may never say thank you, may never appreciate what you're doing. But God's heart is for the Japanese people and to reach out to the Japanese people. We're grateful for your church. We're grateful for your giving that makes it possible. Thank you for supporting us. We would encourage you to please pray for us. As we go back March 19th, we go back to Japan. Three things you can focus on your prayers. First is that we rebuild our missionary team. Right now, they're just my wife and I. But we'll have other missionaries join us and that we'll have one heart. Secondly, new relationship with the Japanese leadership. While we've been gone, a Japanese couple that we discipled for 10 years, they're leading the church. They're laymen, but they're leading the church faithfully. When we go back, we have to form a new kind of relationship of equals and work together with them. Before, we were the disciplers. Now, they've been the leaders. So pray for our relationship with them. And pray for the cafe as we move it forward. Uh, we would appreciate deeply. And should I not have concern for the great city of Tokyo, in which there are more than 38 million people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're sovereign over all. We thank you that you do your work in the hearts of people. And we believe, Lord, just as you did a miracle in Nineveh, someday, Lord, you're going to open the hearts of the Japanese people. Someday, Lord, they will see the truth. We pray, Lord, for great revival in Japan, for opening of the eyes and for light to shine in darkness, for chains to be broken. 
And Lord Jesus, that your name might be on the lips of the Japanese people. Lord God, touch the hearts of the people here to remember to pray for Japan. Touch the hearts of some of the people here to come and be interns, to serve, and some even to come as full-time missionaries for this greatest missionary challenge. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Stephen and Nard. What a blessing uh, y'all have been this morning to us. I hope, I trust y'all were blessed by that as well. I have a few announcements, and uh, Dr. Hughley can come on up. He's going to end our service in prayer. Uh, First is our Missions Market Craft Fair, which is next Saturday. Um, It's going to be from 9 to 2 here. I've got a couple of food trucks coming out. Please come visit our vendors. We have, I think, 21 now. We had a lot of uh, outside people who don't know us, see us on Facebook, um, and uh, they called me and signed up. So we're going to have a lot of good vendors here. Please come out and show your support for them. Um, And then tonight, uh, we're having a potluck fellowship uh, starting at 530. Doors open at 530. Um, We encourage all of y'all to come and please bring... um, an appetizer, a main dish to share, and we're going to have desserts and drinks for everybody. But we have very special guests coming tonight, H.K. Derryberry and his friend Jim. H.K. is 33. He's blind with cerebral palsy. He's got an amazing memory and a, a just amazing testimony of how the Lord saved him um, from before he was born when his mother was killed in a car accident. So please come tonight, five, starting at 5.30, to hear um, him and Jim's amazing friendship and testimony. And lastly, I want to mention the missions dilemma. There is a sign-up sheet back here in the foyer um, to come and uh, watch video. And hopefully Steve Saint will be here to host that with us. And uh, David told me this morning, just pray for Steve that he is up to coming that week. It'll be March 15th and 16th. Friday night and Saturday, and we need to sign up because we'll have meals uh, for you for coming to that. Um, but it's uh, it talks about the Great Commission and our role as believers in missions and uh, how we should be uh, to the people of the nation. So it's a great uh, video series, and it'll be a great time together. And just keep Steve in your prayers that he'll be able to join us for that. So I'll ask Dr. Hugh to come up, please, and end our time in prayer and just keep considering our theme of unhindered. Um, We need to be unhindered in sharing the gospel from our neighbors to the dad at the ballpark to the nations. So thank you for attending this week, and we look forward to seeing you all tonight and next Sunday. I feel like in the meetings already we are hearing from God. We appreciate so much the ministry of you missionaries who are here and sharing with us the experiences you've been through. And I think by by the grace of the Lord, we've had a great beginning today and last evening as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank of you this morning as the Lord of the harvest. There are some among us, Lord, who've heard the call and have gone to the regions beyond, at home and abroad, 
we thank you for every one of them. We thank you as a church this morning for our missionary friends with whom we are in partnership. And we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of sharing from our means with them that they can go. And we thank you, Lord, for every prayer that is uttered in their behalf, not only in our church, but in churches that partner with them. Father, we pray that your mercies may attend all of the remaining meetings of our conference today and in the coming week. We pray, our Father, that the missionaries who are with us will be encouraged in their work. And we pray, Father, again, thinking of you as the Lord of the harvest. You taught us to pray, the Lord of the harvest, that you'd send forth workers. And as has already been emphasized, Lord, we pray that from this congregation, you will put your hands upon those whom you would have to go to places beyond, at home and abroad. Father, be with us this day, and may we carry with us the words we have heard this day, the prayers we've heard expressed, and the fellowship we've enjoyed together. And we thank you, Lord, for the many teams from our church that are already planning to be abroad in your service in the coming summer. We pray that you will raise up those whom you would have to go. And we pray that only as you can, Lord, you will supply the need. And we pray that it will be a wonderful time of, of fellowship and ministry as our people go to places to which you are directing them. Thank you again for the fellowship of the morning. Speak to us as we go our way. Make us a blessing and use us for your sake and glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.